All right, I'm going to uh, move on into the, the lectionary passages for this morning, uh, the first of which is Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. Oh no, I just lost my spot. There we go. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. A New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of, the first, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Finally, our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We pray for us. Father, we pray for your help. We ask that you would illuminate our hearts, that our hearts would light up under the gaze of your word. God, I pray for your help, that you would help me to speak your word and not my own. God, help us to cling to your word, your authority. Let it rip us open, shape us, and change us. We thank you that you are present with us by your Holy Spirit, yet whispering these heart, these words into our hearts. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I, I went to Presbytery. Um, so because we're a Presbyterian church, we three times a year, we send uh, myself and, and sometimes representatives from our church to go and be a part of this regional body that we are connected to called Presbytery. Um, and it's always, it's interesting right now because our, our Presbytery is, was huge. It was very large, um, several states. And uh, the most churches in a Presbytery ended in our denomination. And we're splitting into smaller ones. Uh, and just to give you a sense of how big our Presbytery was, our little one, lit, littler one, which will be called Presbytery of the Central Carolinas, uh, immediately upon becoming officially our own little presbytery will be the third largest presbytery in the denomination because we just have so many churches in our, in our region, which is great. We plant churches together. We have a good old time. Um, it's, it's wild to watch this little experiment happen. Nobody has done this, what we are doing, taking one big presbytery and making three out of it. Um, it's, it's worked. It's been pretty cool to watch. You, if you're a member of this church, you, you are connected to all of these other churches. So we plant churches together. You may say, I've never planted a church. You have. You've been a part of planting churches through our presbytery. Uh, and it's super fun to watch. Um, months ago, presbytery was scheduled to be at this church, uh, Siler Presbyterian Church, south of Charlotte. And um, in December, yeah, middle of December, end of December, I got an email saying that the pastor of Siler Presbyterian Church uh, was killed by COVID. And um, his name was Bruce Powell. He was in his late 50s. Um, just this wonderful, lively guy. Um, I didn't really know him super, super well. I first met him at a Gordon-Conwell Seminary where I went, uh, an alumni sort of thing at, at a denominational meeting and talked. But he was just sort of like really loud uh, in, in a really great way. He had this wonderful voice, very preacher, preachery voice. Um, and he just shouldn't be dead. You know, it's his church clearly loves him still, and they're getting over the grief of his death. We had this thing for uh, like a memorial, and uh, just one of those pastors that I'm like, 
look at and I'm like, that guy is like five times the pastor that I am. I hope that I could be like him someday. Just loves Jesus, loves the scriptures, passionately involved in teaching it in the life of his people, and his people love him. And, um, and they lost him far too, far too early. He had a lot of ministry left in him, we all thought. Um, and this church said, we still want to have presbytery here. We still want to be here. And uh, it's, this, it's this strange thing, like, sharing this life together as churches and as people to be there for a bit of their grief and to see how much uh, he meant to them. But then also in the same place from which he, where he just had his funeral, all of these like incredible things are happening in the life of our churches that we get to see and to, to be a part of. Um, there is this group just down the road, I forget the name of the ministry, um, it's for men who have been incarcerated and bound up by addiction and all kinds of things. And they come to this farm and live together for six months and are, uh, they've given the gospel and uh, training and a community and support from, this, from Siler and from all these uh, other partner churches. The guy who was there to talk about the ministry was dead on the floor of his mother's kitchen. Uh, from a heroin overdose when he was 18. And the paramedics revived him, you know, a couple minutes later. And his life is completely transformed by Jesus. Um, and there are so many stories that are coming out of this ministry. We, there's this uh, church over near Charlotte called Lake Forest who's planted a bunch of churches. And... Uh, Back in early, I guess in early in the lockdown in 2020, there's a lot of uh, racial violence and tension in Charlotte. And this church said, what can we do that only the church can do? And they'd been plan planning to plant another church sometime soon. They said, well, let's just move it up and let's plant in this part of Charlotte that is almost literally 50% black, 50% white. And let's plant a church that looks like that because that's the only place where this deep reconciliation can happen. And um, this guy came, um, you know, his Presbytery is a room full of, I mean, 95% of the room is old white guys. And, um, like, I am the diversity factor. Me. I mean, look at me. I know my last name is Rodriguez, but it does not count. Um, and this young black pastor comes and preaches who's leading this church. And uh, just, they just launched a couple weeks ago. And in the middle, it's called U City, Lake Forest U City. Uh, right near University of Charlotte. And, uh, and it, was, it was so wonderful to have him preaching the word for us and pointing the way forward in the gospel. 
And uh, he, he, uh, he has a speech impediment that, you can, that comes out sometimes as he's preaching. And some part of me wants to like cringe and feel bad for him. And he's just ripping off a sermon. I mean, he is just preaching. I don't mean ripping off as in copying, just to be clear. Um, and I, I don't get to be around those stories until and unless I, I go to Presbyterian. We get to be a part of those stories in the same building where they were mourning the burial of their pastor. I, I drove home from Charlotte yesterday and two hours later got in the truck with my two of my older kids, my two oldest kids and a friend. And then we drove to Knoxville because my uh, daughter turns 14 next week, which is insane. And um, she was given tickets to an Andrew Peterson concert. I don't know if you know who Andrew Peterson is. You should. Um, Andrew Peterson is this singer-songwriter slash novelist slash other author. Uh, I've known of him for a long time. I worked in a Christian bookstore. I know you're probably shocked by that um, <laughs> when I was in high school. And uh, I remember selling his music like 20 years ago and not, it didn't really, didn't really do much for me. It was too many words and I just didn't want to listen basically. <laughs> And as I've gotten older, I was like, oh, these words are kind of the thing. <laughs> They're kind of the point. He's a fantastic, wonderful writer. And, and what I love about him is uh, in, in the books that he writes and the songs that he writes, he will tell the truth about the world, that the goodness of God is on display in the world. But we are all in the middle of aching and longing for things to be made right. Longing for the resolution that only can be found in Jesus. And the, the, our hope is that we lean forward in expectation that Jesus will come and set things the way they ought to be. And sings these songs of longing for when the, the, last, when the last girl walks down the boulevard to be abused. When the last bullet rips through flesh. On the other side of that moment is Jesus who will mend all the wounds. It's, it's in the acknowledging the real darkness that we live in that gives full brightness to the truth of who God is. And I'm sitting there with my daughters and just thinking, in this room, surrounded by this music, it helps to clarify that the gospel makes the most sense. Like we are distracted by the suffering and darkness of the world so that it becomes difficult to believe that the gospel is true, to hold on for hope that somewhere a person that we cannot see will somehow set all things right. And yet when you sit yourself in the middle of the story and you're surrounded by the music of the kingdom, then everything sort of like crystallizes just for a moment and you can see. And you can see the truth. You can feel it. It just sort of runs right through you. This is the story that makes sense of everything. Both what I long for and what I've just had this little taste of. 
and crystallizes around Jesus. And that vision in the middle of darkness is what these texts are about. Isaiah and Peter both have this moment where everything just sort of snaps into focus. And things that they could not see clearly just moments before suddenly are very, very clear. And what they see is astonishing because there's these two realities that they both experience. And they're both important independently, but when you combine them together, it it moves into something that's even more beautiful. They both are confronted with the reality of God, and they are terrified. And this is not... This is not an aberration, this is not a fluke, but this is like the normal reaction when people see God in the Bible is they are terrified. Isaiah has a a pretty overwhelming vision. He's in the biggest, in his experience probably, the biggest building on earth. And he has a vision that, that the God, Israel's God, is enthroned in that temple. And that just his robe, the end of his robe, fills up this massive building. There's angels flying around and he has this vision of exalted God. And his reaction is, I'm going to die. And that's pretty typical. His feeling that he is going to die is what all the prophets seem to experience when they meet God. I mean, Ezekiel just straight up falls down. Just sort of passes out, moving towards death. And and Peter has a very different confrontation, but with the same revelation. That Peter pushes out his boat for Jesus, and he's clearly annoyed, which I love that the text tells you, like, I just did this all night, and you're going to tell me to put my net back in the water. And Jesus doesn't say anything further, and Peter pulls and pulls, and he can't pull the nets back into the boat because they're filled up with fish. You have to understand, though, Peter works in the waters, but, like, people aren't super comfortable with water. The seas, symbolically, are the places of chaos and death. They're scary. That's why you see so many times the stories of disciples being on the water, and they're very quick to be very afraid. And Jesus, with like not even a word, shows a mastery of the sea that compels the waters to give up its depths in this place to this man. And Peter is not overwhelmed with the number of fish. He is overwhelmed that Jesus has command of the waters. And and Peter's response is the same as Isaiah's. I cannot be this close to you. I am am a sinner. I am very aware of it right now. I'm going to die functionally, is what he's saying. It's important to see in both of these visions that, that they just sort of come around the corner of reality 
and they, they see things for the way that they really are, and they see God, the God of Israel. And they are very aware of the vast difference between them and God. And we tend to, like, dumb down God because, one, he's more manageable, and, two, we think we're awesome. But we just tend to think, like, God is basically my invisible friend, my little buddy who wants to hang out with me and be like my imaginary friend. And that is not God. That is not the way that God is. And when reality is lifted, the veil is lifted, and you can see, the response here and elsewhere is this terror. I cannot be here. That's true. God never says in any of these confrontations, don't worry. He doesn't, he doesn't, he says, fear not to a lot of these people, but he doesn't tell them, no, no, you're seeing wrong. Like, I'm actually, I'm safe. It's, it's fine. That's not what he tells them to fear not based upon, but based upon how he's just going to act towards them in that moment. But it's the truth. But the other truth that is in both Isaiah and Peter's story is that this God wants people to speak for him. He's asking in Isaiah, who will speak for me? You know, it's obviously, this is Isaiah's call to ministry. It's clear that he, Isaiah is supposed to put up his hand after his voice, his mouth has been cleansed. But God is saying in both of these circumstances, who will speak for me? Jesus doesn't even wait for Peter to say it. He tells him, I'm, I'm going to convert your vocation from fishing to bringing in people, living people. You're going to haul those nets in from now on. Why? But God is, is clearly so different from people. He's clearly so much better. He's exceedingly powerful. He's holy. And he wants these people to talk for him who has flung the universe into existence with the word of his power. And when you lay those things over top one another, it becomes more extraordinary that the terrifyingly holy and powerful God seated in unapproachable light persistently bends down and whispers his words into the ears and the lips of tiny, sinful people. And God wants them to speak for him it is astonishing, this image. And yet it is the plan of God. And Peter is told to, to embrace what his vocation has taught him and to understand that what he is called to is to spread out the nets and haul people in to the kingdom. And and what I think is important to see here and to keep in your mind is the way that this thing works. I think a lot of people will come to Peter's story and will, by default, move into a mode of fishing that does not look like Peter's. 
And what they will do is more like spear fishing. I've never spearfished, so uh, pardon the, the problems with the metaphor, if you will. People, myself included, tend to want to point at the ones that they want. Say, I want people like that. I want this one, and I want this one. And guess what? They all look like me. All the people that I want to go after, they look and they sound just like me. I don't want the people who don't look like me. I want more of me. But that's not even the kind of fishing that Peter is doing. This is a kind of fishing that is a net strung between two boats through the night. Can't even see what's down there. And you just pull whatever is in there. And Peter will find himself engaged in that kind of fishing for the rest of his career, his ministry career. And he'll struggle with it. You can see it in the New Testament. There are times when he feel, finds himself drawn to just being with people like him. And Paul has to have a confrontation with him, like, you can't be doing that. You can't, you can't just be making yourself look like I'm going to be a, a, still remain as this Israelite-only guy and hang out and eat by the law only when it, when it befits your social perception. You can't do that. The gospel is for everyone. The invitation is for everyone. You have to spread the notes, the nets wise. And when you have this clear vision of God, it should radically affect the width of the nets that you spread in your life. Because if God is like this, where he's breathtakingly, terrifyingly holy, who would bend down and speak to sinful, frail, faulty people like you and me, how can I possibly live a life of exclusion? Who can be excluded from the net of God? And we, our ambition in our life together is that we should be reflective of a net spread like this. And I think principally, theologically, all of us would say, yes, the gospel is for everyone. But what do our lives say? How many people am I too busy for? How many people get a seat at my table? How many people get a seat at this table? Am I, am I really prepared to say that because of the, the breathtaking, surprising nature of the love of God, I will make space in my family, in my family's time, in my hobby time, in my free time, in my downtime, and I will deal with the kind of people that get dragged in to the net of the kingdom. Do I really believe that the gospel is for everyone and that I'm going to make time to bring in people who have way messed up theology, who have way messed up lives? Am I going to actually walk with them and open my life to them and be beside them all the way through this thing? I don't really have time for that. And so I'd rather just include people in my life who is easy for me, 
I don't have to bear their suffering in their mourning. I don't have to deal with their spiritual immaturity. I don't have to deal with their disabilities. I don't have to deal with their social and family dysfunction. I don't have to deal with the people who can't just read the room and know when to be quiet or when to, to laugh appropriately. I don't have to deal with the people who smell bad. I don't have to deal with the people who vote wrong. I don't have to deal with the people who are attracted to the wrong people. I just can leave all of those people aside and just boil everything everything down to the people I have time for, me. I have time for me. And that is not the nature of the kingdom. That is not the nature of the kingdom. When you push the boats out into the water and you go fish with Jesus... The nets catch all kinds of people. And my question for us together is, do we have room for these people? Do we have space in our life together for the kinds of people that get caught up in Jesus' nets? Do we have space in our budgets to cover the financial burdens of people who have nothing? Do we have space in our time budgets to sit and have another conversation with person A who is dealing with the same thing again? Do we have emotional space together to just have people who are not cool who are not put together and who cost a lot. When you see God, when you see the God who sits on the throne surrounded by angels, the train of his robe filling the temple, when you see the God who can speak to the depths of the seas, and would still say, I want you to speak for me. You can't help but look out into open waters. You ought to be able to see all the most difficult people in your life, the people that scare you and annoy you and exhaust you and say, if that God, incredible in power, would send me to speak to them, then surely that God would set his love on people like that. The ability to respond to Jesus' command and description for Peter's life comes from the place of this vision. Do you understand that the nets of the kingdom have been spread open and it's me that's been caught. I'm the one who would stand before God and have to say the same thing that Isaiah and Peter would say. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. Get away from me. I am going to die. I cannot be in your presence. And God has seen somebody like me. And not because of my attractiveness in any way but because of his great mercy 
has set his love on me and said, I want to touch your lips and make you clean. I want to put my words in your mouth. God has done that with me. I've been caught in the net. How can I exclude anyone else? I'm the biggest fool I know. Who am I to look at the one who makes me uncomfortable? Who will stand before God and say the same thing that I did? I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips. Woe is me. The vision of who God is and the vision of the Jesus who speaks to the depths is the vision that captures us. It pulls us, it saves us, and it is that self-same vision that will rescue our friends and our neighbors. It will rescue the people that we write off. It rescues the people that make us uncomfortable. It will rescue with the people who we don't want anything to do with. It will rescue the people that are forgotten, that are unseen, that are dirty, that smell bad. That same vision rescues those people because that self-same vision has rescued me. I know it to be true. The darkness may be pressing in all around, but it's the vision of Jesus. It's seeing this thing that helps me to believe that this God will set the darkness on its ear forever. And if the darkness is pressed in on me and been pushed back by Jesus, then the darkness that presses in to this neighborhood and to that neighborhood, into your home, into your co-workers' home, into your schools, this Jesus will push back that darkness as well. Yes, I am afraid of having my life disrupted. Yes, I am afraid of not being enough. Yes, I am afraid of being around all these people that I cannot manage. That is the kingdom. That is the work of Jesus. That is what God is doing in the world. So you can go with Jesus or you can walk away from him. You can go with Jesus down this road or you can live your own life under your own power. You can be captured by the vision of the king or you can prefer your own rule. The invitation, though, is to live into this way that sets all things right and puts hope deep in our bones that we might be saved now, we might be saved later, and all things will finish be being saved and set right. That is a better vision than a life lived and dedicated to our own comfort, security, and neat, boxed-up American suburban lives. This is better. And if Jesus would be so merciful and kind to offer it to me, I'm here to tell you he's offering that to you too. And if you are here today, overwhelmed with sorrow, if you have been crushed under the weight of your own sin. If you have worked so hard to appear good enough before God and before other people, 
You are the exact kind of people that Jesus loves. Jesus spread his nets for you. If you are overwhelmed by secret sin and by all your failure, God has looked at people like you and said, it's you that I want to speak for me. Because that is how good God is. And if today you are hearing that for the first time, really hearing it, the response is as simple as Isaiah and Peter's. Throw yourself down and say, I, I'm about to die. I cannot. And let him reach out to you to make you right, to touch that cold of your lips, to atone for you, and to welcome you into his own work in the world. He has space for even you here this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that the darkness in the world does not rule the day. God, we thank you that though the darkness often clouds our vision, when we see you clearly, it sets things right in our minds, and in our hearts. And Father, I pray for, the, for everyone who is here today who might be overwhelmed by their failure, by their sin, by their secret shame. Father, I pray that you would help them to see you very clearly, to know the truth of who you are, and to hear the surprising news that it is people like us Exactly like that, that you love to work in and work through, that you make us right in a way that we could not do for ourselves, and you invite us into this right way of life with you. Father, I pray that you would help us together as a people to make all kinds of space in our lives and our hearts for those who trouble us, <coughs> for those who annoy us, for those who disturb us, for those who we think are so profoundly wrong, for those who, who fill us with all kinds of reasons to move to the other side of the room. God, I pray that you would make space in our hearts that we would be a people who practically, realistically move towards those folks, bring them in, and make space at our own tables for dinner mates that we could not have otherwise predicted. God, we thank you that you are supreme in power and holiness. And yet you stoop down low to speak to little ones like us. Jesus, we're so grateful and we ask for the, power, the help of the power of your Holy Spirit that we might grow up in the gospel and speak gospel words with our lips and with our lives that all might come and see your power. Amen.